Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Open your Bible to Psalm 109. Psalm 109. Psalm 109. Verse 1. One of the things we're doing tonight is laying the foundation for our 30 days of prayer that starts on Friday. Part of this 30 days of prayer, we want to challenge everybody to pray at least 30 minutes a day. Now, I know you're super saints on Wednesday night, so I know 30 minutes is easy for you. But if you're not there yet, stretch yourself to 30 minutes. And if you're already past 30 minutes, add something to what you already do. One of the things also we're doing is through the Word of Faith app, myself, Bishop, Pastor Andre, and several other pastors in our network have done prayer devotionals for 30 days. There are video devotionals and there are written devotionals, but if you download the Word of Faith app, you can see, have access to all those devotionals. We also have a prayer notebook in the bookstore if you want to journal things that God does in your life over the next 30 days. So what we're going to do is starting Friday, our whole focus is on prayer. And we know, thank God, that God answers prayer. Amen? And so we're going to lay some groundwork for tonight with a message called, Your Prayer Life Matters. Your Prayer Life Matters. A lot of times people think, well, it doesn't really matter if I pray. We're going to lay some of the foundation for it, but yes, it does matter if you pray. It's not just matters to your life, but it matters to others as well. So Psalm 109, we'll look at verse 1. It says, hold not your peace, O God, of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself on to prayer. So notice David is describing a situation that no one wants to be in, that I've done everything right, but people are hating me because I live right. People are turning against me because I live right. I'm surrounded by enemies. I'm surrounded by haters, but... Here's how I'm going to respond. I'm going to become a hater just like them. I'm going to cuss them out. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell them how I really feel about it. I'm going to tweet how I really feel about it. They're going to read my hashtag and know what I meant. Or you can be passive aggressive and do a subtweet to where you're talking about them, but you don't tag them, so people have to guess who you're talking about. What did David do? He says, but I... Give myself to prayer. When we look at that phrase, but I give myself to prayer, you would think, okay, yes, he spent time in prayer. Glory to God. He prayed for his enemies. Hallelujah. How spiritual. But notice, I give myself to prayer. Notice, give myself unto is italicized. Italicized words in the text can, were added 
for the sake of ease of the translators to help you understand the point. But if it was added by the translators, you can remove it. So instead of just saying, I give myself unto prayer, David said, I prayer. Now, I have to remember in the Hebrew culture, they never said, I am, because that's the name of God. So even in modern-day Hebrew, when they say I, it will sound to us if we translate it, I this, I that, not I am this. So David is identifying himself with prayer. So instead of becoming bitter, instead of becoming angry, instead of yielding to the malice and the hate, he says, I identify myself with prayer. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, David became prayer, his enemies became malice. David became prayer, his enemies became malice. Can you say that about yourself today? Are you prayer? David made prayer his identity. Prayer consumed him until he identified himself as prayer. But a lot of times in our culture, prayer is just a meme. Oh, pray for Houston. Pray for the islands. Pray for this country. Pray for that country. Oh, a terrorism attack happened. Well, send good thoughts and say that you'll pray for them. Sending good thoughts does nothing. And saying that you can pray for them does nothing. There's only power when you actually pray. But in this generation, it's easier to post than pray. So it's like, oh, I'm praying for you, but are you really praying for them? It's just like a spiritual conversation piece. Oh, if you go through, I'll pray for you, but do you actually pray for them? And if you want to solve that issue, don't just say, I'll pray for you later if you're not actually going to write it down and pray for it during your prayer time. Say, so let's pray about it right now. We can't just be people who say, I'll pray about it. Actually be people who actually pray about it. I like what I heard a pastor said recently. He said, if you're not going to pray about it, don't post about it. If you're not going to pray about it, don't post about it. So, well, the world needs to know what I think. No, they don't. People keep giving so many pieces of their mind, they have nothing left. So you can post about issues, that's fine, but at least make sure you spend more time praying than you did posting. Because if you're all only posting about the issues, you're going to succumb to the spiritual vomit we talked about on Sunday. And I don't know how many times you need me to say vomit to make it echo through your mind all week long. We need to become prayer, not spiritual vomit. We have to be people of prayer and let prayer consume us to the point where prayer is our identity. So I'm going to give you seven things tonight. Number one, make a decision to become prayer. Make a decision to become prayer. Make it your lifestyle. Make prayer your lifestyle. A lifestyle is determined by what you do consistently. But a lot of times we say, well, we're just too busy to pray. You don't know all the things I have to do. You don't know all the things I have to do for work, for my family, for my kids. I don't have time to pray like that. You're the preacher. You can pray like that. He's like, well, you're a preacher. You have an automatic grace to want to pray all day. You know, I wish that was true. I wish that my schedule just automatically, magically cleared up and I was just in a place of prayer 24-7. But how many know that's not a reality? 
If you don't, maybe I'll just do a one-day reality TV show and you go, oh, look at that. We should pray for Pastor Mo. Go to Daniel chapter 6. Prayer has to be our lifestyle. Daniel chapter 6. Are you too busy to make prayer your lifestyle? Are you too busy to make prayer your identity? Daniel chapter 6 verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. This is government structure. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage or have no loss. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So what does the king want to do with Daniel? He wants to make him the prime minister. He wants to make everyone in the kingdom report to this man of God. But Daniel had some hairs. The presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they couldn't find none occasion nor fault for as much he was faithful. How would you like that to be your testimony? When all your haters are watching you trying to find something wrong with your life and they say, we can't find nothing. They try to look at your job and say, was there no, there's no error or fault found in him. And they said, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents, princes, assembled together to the kings. They left Daniel out of this. And said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, and the princes, the counselors, the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute. So they're lying. They said all the presidents. Daniel's number one. So if they show up and say all the presidents, the king automatically thinks Daniel has rubber stamped this. And if he thinks his number one guy has rubber stamped this, he says, okay, it must be a good idea. And everyone else showed up, Daniel must be busy handling something, and everyone else is representing him. And to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing that it should not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians with altars not. Now, how the government of the Medes and Persians was, once the king made a decree, it could not be changed. Even the king could not change it. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went into his house and hid. He said, it's time to leave this country. And his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So he didn't start praying when persecution showed up. Aforetime means this was his pastime. This was his habit. Three times a day he would stop what he was doing to go and pray. He is the prime minister of an empire that stretched to Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and Asia. And he could find time to pray. What's our excuse? We're all busy. But if the prime minister of the empire can pray, we can pray. 
Because one of the things you need to study the book of Daniel, Daniel's life, who was really in charge in Babylon? Was it Darius? Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Was it Cyrus? All these different people? No, the kings came and went, but Daniel stayed. By some accounts, Daniel lived to be way over 100. He was working in the kingdom to at least his 90s. He ruled Babylon. He ruled the world. And how did he rule the world? Through prayer. If you want to change things in your life, you have to be a person of prayer, not just waking up in the morning, God bless me, I receive it, and leave. Prayer has to be our identity. Prayer has to be our lifestyle. We must find time to pray. Go to 1 Peter 3.12. So we're encouraging you doing this 30 days of prayer to spend at least 30 minutes a day in prayer. 1 Peter 3.12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. What is the scripture reminding us? God is looking to answer your prayers. God is looking to answer your prayers. That's number two. Know that God wants to answer your prayers. You're not praying just trying to grab God's attention or maybe he'll hear me. It's not like you're to be the prophets of Baal who are jumping up and down, cutting themselves, trying to get Baal to notice them. You don't have to do anything to get God to notice you. He already notices you. He's watching you. He's in love with you. He's waiting for you to ask. He set this thing up so that you have free will, that he's not going to force anything on you. But all you have to do is ask. So he is watching you, watching your life, waiting with his ears open. Ask me for what you need. You don't like what you see in society? Pray about it. God's like, come on, I'm waiting for you. Pray. He wants to answer your prayers. You serve a good, good God. He wants to answer your prayers. So if things are not going right in your life or in your city or your society, the prayer life of the church is to blame. It's not God and his goodness. It's the prayer life of the believer. Your prayer life matters. God is looking to answer your prayers. So number one, make prayer your lifestyle. Number two, know that God wants to answer your prayers. Go to James 5.16. It's laying the foundation for our 30 days of prayer that we start on Friday. James 5.16, the latter part of the verse. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Amplified Version says, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Amplified Classic Edition says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So number three and four. Prayer should be heartfelt. Prayer should be heartfelt. 
Now, on that point, prayer may not always start as heartfelt because you could be praying for someone you do not like. That you really want to pray, strike them down, Jesus. Pick up a lightning bolt, oh Lord, and send it their way. Make them a crispy critter, let the earth open up and let them straight down to hell right next to Satan himself. Come on, Jesus, do it for me. That may be what you want to pray, but you know you're not supposed to pray that way, so you're praying like Jesus said, bless those who curse me. And when you start, it may not be heartfelt. You're just doing it out of obedience. But if you stay continued praying for that person, and you do it consistently enough, and pray from your spirit, eventually a love from that person will rise in your heart. Whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, you're spending time praying for them, the love of God will rise up and you'll actually love that person, no matter what they do. So prayer should be heartfelt and prayer should be consistent. That's number four. Prayer should be consistent. Go to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Prayer should be heartfelt. Prayer should be consistent. What you do consistently becomes your lifestyle. Whatever you do consistently becomes your lifestyle. Luke 18. Verse 1. And he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end. Here's the reason he's telling this parable. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. So why is Jesus telling this parable? That people pray always and they don't get tired of praying. Which means if Jesus had tell a parable to this end, people will get tired of praying about things. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. A lot of times people read through this passage and preach like God is the unjust judge. Notice how many times Jesus had to say in this short parable to let you know that's not God. He says, the judge feared not God nor regard to man. That's not God's character. He said that twice. And then he called him unjust. God is just. He is righteous. So he's comparing an unjust judge who got tired of this widow woman coming to beg him about something. And he says, I'm going to give her what she asked so she doesn't get on my nerves anymore. I'm tired of seeing her, so I'm going to give her what she wants. You serve a just judge. A good, good God, a good, good Father who loves you. He's not saying, I just want to get you out of my face. He enjoys when you come to talk to him. He enjoys when you come and pray. He enjoys your presence. He enjoys seeing you. So he's not trying to get you out of his presence. He wants you there. He's looking forward 
to manifesting what you're asking for. So don't come in and say, well, we got to bombard the gates of heaven. we got to make God tired so he'll give me what I want. How many of you know if you actually thought that through, how stupid that sounds? How can you make God tired by you just praying all the time? People have preached it. It's religion, but it's stupid. Come from this standpoint. God wants to answer my prayers. Why? He is love, and he's madly in love with me. So he's telling you to be persistent in your prayer life so you can receive what you're asking for. Because there are different things that will delay what you're praying for that's not as a delay from God. There are, is delays in the spirit realm. We talked about spiritual warfare a little bit last month. There are delays of people being obedient. That God could have moved on someone's heart a long time ago. They're supposed to help you out, but they're struggling with it. And then it's not on God. It's not even your fault. It's that person being slow to obey. And you know what happens as you continue to pray? God keeps working on their heart. Daniel was the perfect example of this concept also. That he wanted an answer from God and he began to pray and it took him 21 days to get the answer. And when the angel showed up with the answer, he said, God heard you the first day you prayed, and I was sent with this answer, but demonic princes got in the way, and I had to fight them for three weeks. Michael came and helped. Why did Michael come and help? Because Daniel kept praying. If Daniel didn't keep praying, there would have been no angelic assistance for that angelic being sent to minister to him. God wants you to be consistent in your prayer life. You're not going to tire God out by talking about the same thing. God wants you to keep your family in his face. How do I know that? Go to Isaiah 43, 26. Isaiah 43, 26. Isaiah 43, 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Notice something God is saying. He says, put me in remembrance. Remind me, not because God is forgetful, not because he forgot. God wants you to use his word when you pray. So when you're praying about something, find the promise in the word of God. Because that's how you know it belongs to you. It is your title deed. This tells you what is yours, what Jesus bought for you. So imagine if someone went to your favorite store and bought everything you could want and said, all you have to do is go pick it up. Here is the list of what I bought for you. Here is the receipt. And you show up there and they don't recognize you and say, hey, so-and-so bought this for me. Well, where is your proof? Where is your evidence? Where is your title deed? Here's your evidence. Here's how you pray. And here's how you demand your circumstance to change. Because you have evidence, Jesus bought my healing, so body, you got to line up now. He supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. So bank account, you got to get something now. 
He said, if I ask, he'll give me wisdom. And upright, if not, I ask, I receive the wisdom so I know what I'm going to do. He says, if I keep my mind on him, he'll keep me in perfect peace. So I refuse to be anxious. I refuse to be worried. I refuse to be full of care. I will be in peace. He says, when I lay down, he'll give me sweet sleep. So I'm not going to toss and turn all night. I'm going to bed, and I'm going to have the greatest sleep of my life. You can demand it if you got some evidence. So even when you're praying, God says, put me in remembrance of what I said. So you say, Father, you said in your word this, that, and the other. So based on that, I ask for it, and I receive it, and I thank you for it. It's mine because you love me. God wants you to make your case. I remember a story of John G. Lake near the end of his life. Something happened to his eyes, and he went blind. John G. Lake was a man of God used greatly in healing and teaching revelation of flowing in the spirit. Many miracles, signs, and wonders under his ministry. He started healing rooms, I believe it was in Spokane, Washington, to the point the U.S. government came out and said, this is the healthiest city in the United States, in part to Dr. Lake's healing rooms, where he taught people the word of God and laid hands on the sick. So near the end of his life, he went blind. And so he told his child, like, well, I'm going to take a walk. So you have to think, why is he blind going to take a walk? So he's going, walking around, and he says he's just having a conversation with God. Pleading this case. He said, look, God, I've preached healing for how many decades? It doesn't make sense for me to die blind. By the time he came back, his eyesight was perfect. What did he do? He just made his case. Make your case. You got favor with the judge. The judge likes you. It's not fair. You got favor. Favor ain't fair. So use it to your advantage. Go before the throne of grace like God actually wants you to be there. Don't go into his presence like you think you're bothering God. It's like, God, I'm so sorry I got to talk to you this morning. That's not who he is. He wants you to come into his presence. He wants you to make your case. He wants you to pray about things that matter to you. But he also wants you to pray about others. He wants you to have a lifestyle of Prayer doesn't always have to be just in your quiet time in the morning where you're praying and eyes closed. That is a time that's needed. But prayer should happen throughout the day. You could be driving down the street and see someone, they may be in a bad situation or they just look angry. Pray for them. You know how to close your eyes? You're driving. Please don't close your eyes. Please drive with your eyes open. Watch and pray. It's like, oh, they're having a bad day. Father, I pray that you send the right person across their path. I pray that you manifest your goodness to them. You see someone on the highway driving recklessly and speeding like they're going to hurt somebody. Angels, go forth. Get them to his destination safely or cause the right authorities to stop them. It's a lifestyle. It's not just when you're at church or in your prayer closet. It's your communication and prayer to God throughout the day. So prayer should always be based on the word. Prayer should be heartfelt. Prayer should be consistent. You should know that God wants to answer your prayers, and you need to make a decision to make it your lifestyle. Go to 1 John chapter 5.
Because if Jesus took time to get up early, to fast and to pray, who are we to think that we don't have to do that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What is his will? His word. His word is his will. So if you ask anything according to his word, he hears you. And we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petition that we desired of him. So notice this says a few things. If you do not pray according to the word, God doesn't hear you. I remember a preacher was preaching. He asked God, God, what do you do with all those unbelieving doubt and fear-filled prayers? He said, what doubt and unfeared prayers? They don't go there. But if you pray about the word, it doesn't even mean your prayer was eloquent. You could stumble through it. You could be new to Jesus and have no idea why the King James is in this type of English. And you can't even pronounce those words. But God hears you and it will come to pass. It's not based on your eloquence does God answer your prayer. It's based on what do you believe. Because he says, if we know that he hears us, whatsoever he asks, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If he hears you, you have it. John calls that your confidence. So the next point I want you to know tonight is prayer should flow from a place of confidence. Prayer should flow from a place of confidence. You should be confident that God hears you and that he answered you. You have to have that boldness. Remember when Jesus would pray, especially in the book of John, you'll see him say stuff like this. Father, I say this out loud so the people know, but I always know that you hear me. That's how you have to be. Well, I wonder if God heard you. I know he heard me. I wonder if he's going to answer. I know he's going to answer it. Wow, I have this confidence. You should be like that. Whatever you pray for, you know God is going to do. Because you pray based on the word of God. You'll have no confidence if you don't know it's his will. If you pray religious, religiously and say, God, if it be thy will, you have no confidence because you don't even know God's will. Say, like, well, I saw it in the Bible sometime. Yes, once. And do you know what Jesus, he answered the question. He says, if it be your will, you can heal me. Jesus said, I will be healed. You don't have to ask, is it your will anymore? The only time you inquire about the will of God is when you're trying to get direction. And that is a request for wisdom. Not saying it's, it's written in the Bible, God, but I don't know if you want this for me anymore. That's not faith. That's doubt and fear and looking for a way out. Prayer should flow from a place of confidence that by the time you say amen, you should know you're going to have exactly what you asked for. That's where you have to flow from in prayer. Let's go to John 16 and bring this to a close. John 16, verse 23. 
So we said make a decision to become prayer. Make it your lifestyle. Know that God wants to answer your prayers. Prayer should be heartfelt. Prayer should be consistent. Prayer should flow from a place of confidence. Prayer should always be based on the word. And we'll learn from this passage number seven. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hereto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Number seven, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now, what do you mean by in the name? Does it mean I just slap on the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer and that's my magical word and everything I say in the name of Jesus happens? Understand what the word name means. It's the Greek word unima, which means the authority and the character thereof. So when you're praying in the name of Jesus, it takes on this mentality. I'm praying in the place of Jesus. I'm expecting the same manifestation Jesus would got if he prayed this prayer. So if I'm saying in the name of Jesus, I'm believing God's going to answer my prayer just like he answered Jesus' prayer. Can we do that? Yes, John 17, 23 lets us know God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. So God doesn't give Jesus special access that you don't have. Jesus paid the price so you had that same access. You come into God's presence because the blood has made a way, not because you've done a whole bunch of good things. You have the same access that Jesus has. So you come to him in the place in the stead of Jesus. Praying in the authority and the character of Jesus. What is his character? That's his love. So you're never praying about something that's going to contradict the love of God. Because if you're contradicting the love of God, you're contradicting the word of God, and you have no confidence that it's coming to pass. And you're praying with that same authority. That when Jesus came into the presence of God, he wasn't, well, God, I hope you hear me. I hope you love me today. He was confident. He was talking with his father. When you pray, you are talking with your father. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's judge. Yes, he's the almighty, but he's your daddy. Paul got that revelation. He says, I cry, Abba, Father, which means I got a daddy. It's an intimate term. It's not coming to him saying, He's not going to like me today. I don't know if God had his coffee yet. I don't know if he's ready to hear from me yet. No. Remember 1 Peter 3.12, he's looking at you. He's waiting for you to pray according to his word. He's waiting to answer your prayer. People say God's closer than a prayer he is. You can't describe how close God is to you. Because once you became born again, you all became one. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says those who are believers are joined and are one spirit with the Lord. You're closer than a prayer because you're one. Yes, God is in heaven. Yes, he's seated on his throne. But I want you not to have this mindset that when I pray, my prayer has to go all the way up to reach God for God to hear. No. He's in here. You have to get into that mentality. Now, something funny that Minister Dathan does around here, he has a phrase he likes to say. He likes to say, look at God. 
And when he says that, he does this. And that's true. But I want you to do when you think about God, don't do this. Do this. He's in here. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's in here. I'm not wondering, did he hear it? Did it make it up there? Did it make it in here? So you're praying to someone who's closer than your breath and someone who wants to answer your prayer. So our working definition for prayer for the 30 days of prayer is twofold. Our working definition of prayer for 30 days of prayer is twofold. Prayer is communication with God and prayer is working with God. Prayer is communication with God and prayer is working with God. Prayer is communication with God. And prayer is working with God. Lynn Hammond said, fellowship is the foundation of powerful prayer. Fellowship is the foundation of powerful prayer. What is fellowship? It's partnership, but it's also relationship. If you have a relationship with God, you will have a powerful prayer life. Now, you can have no relationship and still have a prayer life and still see prayers answered. But if you really want to be effective when it comes to prayer, especially in the part where you're partnering with God, you have to have a relationship with him. Go to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Fellowship or relationship is the foundation of powerful prayer. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The love of God, the message verse is the extravagant love of God. And the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? Two different definitions we use. It's God's overwhelming desire to treat you like sin never happened. Grace has 19 different definitions in the New Testament alone. But we can also sum it up. It says anything that God gave you as a gift through Jesus is grace. Grace is an expression of God's extravagant love towards you. Remember, grace is a gift. You don't earn it. It's a gift. And it's a gift because God loves you. So God showed his extravagant love and his amazing grace for this purpose so that the communion of the Holy Ghost will be with you. That word communion is the same word for fellowship we're about to look at in 1 John, but it's translated here in the message version, the intimate friendship. God showed and proved his love by sending Jesus. Jesus died, rose again so you can be justified. And gave this amazing grace, every gift he had to give you, so that he could be close to you. God did everything he did through Jesus so that he can be close to you. That is the God you are praying to. 
Not one who says, I don't care if you pray. The one who gave everything just to be in a relationship with you. Just to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Your prayer life matters. Not just for your life, but for the life of others. Get more into this on Sunday. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, here's the reason he's writing this letter, that you also may have fellowship, partnership, intimate friendship with us, and truly our partnership our fellowship, our intimate friendship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, of Jesus, and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So John saying everything I'm about to write to you in this book is so that you can have a relationship with God. It's so that you can have an intimate friendship with God. I've been reading 1 John again and again all summer long. Chapter after chapter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And one of the things he says here that's key to having a relationship with God, and we remember it said fellowship is the foundation for powerful prayer. It says God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. It's hard to pray to someone if you don't believe they have their, your best interests in mind. It's hard to believe in a God that is good if you believe God will put cancer on you to teach you something. It's hard to ask God for provision if you believe God will make you broke to teach you something. Jesus taught the disciples. And John is saying this is what Jesus taught us. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. That's what they heard from him the three years he was with them. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So you're praying to someone who has your best interest in mind. You're praying to someone who loves you more than anything. You're praying to someone who gave everything for you. But you have an opportunity to choose him. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to work with you. So prayer is communication with God, but it's also partnering, partnering with God. And in order to have an effective life, we must do both of those things. If we want change in our life, change in our community, change in our nation, we must not just communicate with God, but we also must partner with him. Amen? Pick up the rest on Sunday. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. And we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you that we have the privilege to come into you. 
So we ask that you help us in these 30 days of prayer to draw closer to you than ever before. For you said if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So that's what we're expecting in these 30 days, to develop a culture of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer, so that we can be like David and say, I am prayer. I became prayer. My enemies may have become malice, but I became prayer. So Father, I ask that you help us do that, that you make it a reality in every life, in every child and kids world, in every youth in 620, in every adult. Let us experience a realm of prayer we've never known before. I ask it in the majestic name of Jesus. Where every head is bowed, every eye closed. You are moving and walking unless you desire. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.